Well, we're six games in and the Premier League is starting to take shape. Man City are top, promoted teams are all in the bottom three and Chelsea, they look like they could do another billion pounds to put that team together. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Ange Postacoglu, like us all, have no idea what handball is anymore. Chelsea shows that money isn't everything in football and Liverpool look like they have a bit of fire in the belly again. My name is Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com. And Dave, Chelsea have played six Premier League games and they've won only one. That was a 3-0 win against Luton. Yeah. Where where do you go? What, what, you can't keep spending money all the time. So what do Chelsea do? Uh, no idea. I know you said you only want this to be 35 minutes, right? But if you want to talk about them or even the other fellows <laughs> up in, in the red half of Manchester, we could be here all night. But like with Chelsea, it's just it's just so strange. Like since Todd Bowley's come in, his first sign was Raheem Sterling, thirteenth uh, of July in twenty twenty two, and since then he's bought twenty seven players, two keepers, six defenders, nine midfielders, ten forwards. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nearly just as many out, but the dreaded P word that mentioned by Pochettino at the weekend about it being a project. Now, in my opinion, I think that's just a bit of a get out of jail because obviously with the way things are and a bit of a revolving door at Chelsea, I'd say he's already nervous and afraid, but it's nowhere near. If I was a fan, I'd be seriously pissed off if I heard that word. Like when you're spending that kind of money, they spent a billion dollars, 899 million pounds. I could list off a buttload of them. Half of them are even been sold on since then, Koulibaly being one of them. Kukurea, they were trying to shift. Aubameyang is gone. A few others are probably, I don't know where they are. Badi Ashili, remember him, the defender? I don't know if he's injured or not. And then, you know, in, in the summer since Pochettino's took over, you know, Labia, who's been unlucky with, there's Casado, Sanchez, De Sassi has been starting, Nicholas Jackson and Kunku, unfortunately, he's injured. And then, don't let me get me started on Endo Fernandez, who's ruled the midfield market. Like, you can't sit there and say it's a project when you're spending that kind of money and that kind of players. I know, yes, there's a bit of a, an upheaval in terms of personnel, but that's because of the mess that it was there in the first place. But, you know, early promise in that first game where it looked a fairly easy game against Liverpool, you're thinking maybe Pochettino's going to put his little magic dust in it and settle the shit down and they'd be up in the top half of the table. Um, but they're going to struggle uh, the way things are going. I know they're a bit unlucky with injuries, but... Um, we can easily talk about United and blame owners, but in this instance, I, I, I don't know where to start, what's the real problem here. But to throw that money at it and then to hear that project board, and it's going to be a bit more long-term considering the money that's been branded around, that would wind me right up. Is he just trying to, nail buy a little bit of time there? Because there's obviously going to be upset within, I mean, you're 15th in the league, you're Chelsea, you're after spending a couple of billion in a couple of years, which is crazy. But you have the likes of Casado, Fernandez, Mudrick, Jackson, who all got taken off at the weekend. You can talk about projects all you like. If you're going to spend that money, you're you're going to have to get them performing. Yeah, I mean, look, let's take the midfield, as Dave said there. He's got Fernandez in there, £100 million player. He's got Casado in there, £100 million player. Modric is not far off, £100 million. It's scandalous that he can't get a tune out. It leaves two of them. Imagine having two players like that in your midfield 
and instantly every Saturday you're not going absolutely bang at it. This guy is quality. This guy is going to take his places. Um, and Chelsea are just going nowhere. And to be honest with you, I find it highly amusing. Uh, I hope longer continues. I hope he throws another billion at it. Uh, they've absolutely destroyed the transfer market. They did it when Abramovich came in. Now they're doing it when Belly or Bueli's come in. Um, and yeah, it's just fascinating to see a number of really, really talented managers go into that club and they're still a mess. And they're calling for, you know, they're calling for the sack probably already. A home game, one nil, can't score. Uh, from a Chelsea perspective, it's an absolute mess, but it's an entertaining mess as a kind of an alloy, as someone that you want to look at. But, uh, and I'm looking at the team here, and I mean, Conor Gallagher is in the middle of midfield, which I just find a little bit strange. Sterling did actually play well from Roy, and he's getting into positions, but Sterling was never prolific, never prolific. Um, they just seem to be stuttering all the way through games. He can't seem to get a settle 11. It's just comedy goals. And I mean, everyone thought Pochettino was going to come in learn from the mistakes of the previous manager or managers and just, you know, set his tone, set out his way of playing. But it just hasn't happened and it just becomes comedy gold every week. So, yeah, long may it continue. Dave, do you just give him time? To, obviously, you have to give him time. You have to only put him in the job. He's only six games in. He's he, he's won I one guess. against Wimbledon in the EFL Cup. He's, he's beaten the mighty Luton town. <laughs> so, but they're his... Some of these are his players very few though and right. the rest of them are, are sort of just sitting there so like would any of these players get into Man City or Liverpool who are in the top two? Uh, at the minute absolutely not I, I'm looking at the, the starting 11 for the weekend you know obviously players on paper before they signed came with a lot of reputation but no at this stage and um, I know um, there's been one or two uh, new signings that are now injured and that's all well and good so he has had a bit of a, a rough ride but there's no one there that makes me kind of go, yeah, I, I take him in a happy at the minute. But look, like Pochettino, we all know, uh, we all rate him. I mean, he obviously done a fine job at Spurs. He had a bit of a troubled time at PSG, but who doesn't? Um, you'd like to think if he was left alone with some sensible people above him, they could spend it wisely and not try and go for some of these marquee 100 million players that don't make any sense. Um, if he has a bit of a say in it, I would say yes. I fancy Chelsea to turn around, but if he doesn't have a say and he's just giving players and you coach them, I can't see the mess. I can't see the mess getting any better. No, absolutely not. Now, at the weekend, Arsenal and Spurs played out a two-two draw, entertaining game. Ange Postecoglou, after the game, was as puzzled probably as most of us are. This offside rule, or not offside, handball rule, Neil, it's. It's unpredictable now. It's inconsistent. He said that we have to sort of build defenders with no arms now these days to play. What are you making of? I suppose when you look at the game against it's it's Joe Gomez from Luton against Wolves. I think there was a deflection off his knee and it hit his hand in the air. Romero again at the weekend. What's your thoughts on you know those handballs and just the handball rules so far? Yeah, they're after making um, a, a system that wasn't working last year an even worse system that's not working this year. It's almost like at times you think it's any excuse to give the goal and then any excuse not to give the goal. And it's when it goes to VAR, every time now when it comes to a handball, you get the feeling the ref is going to overturn his decision. Now, my first opinion is, as an ex-centre-back slash left-back, right, 
if someone hits the ball at you from five yards and you're making a genuine effort to close them down without getting maybe smashed in the mush, you know, provided your arm isn't kind of above shoulder height, that it's reasonable that you're making an effort. It, 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 I don't see how you can give a handball when it's absolutely leathered at you. And the one that come off your man's foot or ever was and then come up and hit his hand, dreadful decision. I don't know how you can give that because it's a deflection and then onto your hand. Um, my only sympathy would be every now and then you see a handball where it's definitely accidental, but say a header is going into the net and an arm is kind of just lying by their side and it hits them and stops a direct goal. That's the only one where I kind of feel it was preventing a definite goal, therefore fair enough. But these ones that take deflections, these ones that are five yards away, um, even at, you know, it, it's becoming a little bit nonsensical. And, and you can hear them on Match of the Day, et cetera, reading out the little paragraph that precedes it. And, oh, if it didn't lead to a direct chance and if it didn't do this, that, and the other, there should be a very, very black and white scenario here, whether it's a handball or not. But I don't know about you as just a, a punter that watches the games. You'd really get sick of the professionals every time a shot is hit and it hits the guy in the shoulder, the chest, anywhere. They're roaring at the referee. They want it. It's becoming part of the fabric of the game now. And you're beginning to think that the players are doing it on purpose. They're smacking balls at the hands and just, you know, any shot is a potential penalty now. So very, very um, distressing when you're a home team and you're watching them defend and you think, oh God, it's after clipping his arm. And then there's the unknown of whether or not these referees uh, of their anticipation of it say, yes, it is, and no, it's not. I mean, Postacoglu is correct. You could just flip a coin sometimes because you don't know what they're going to come up with. Absolutely. It's, um, Dave, this bothered me last year. It's bothered me even more this year. It, the rule was never a problem. We never had a problem with this before until they started messing about and saying it was a problem. It was always accidental handball was accidental on purpose, on purpose. You'd know because someone would stick their hand out towards a ball that was on purpose. Yep. Accidental, the ball Ball's snapped. Hand. Yeah. So it like it yep. doesn't, it, it didn't need to change. And as you said, Neil said, they, they, they've made it worse. It, w- it was nearly impossible yeah. to think that they could make it worse, but they have. Yeah, the worst thing they could do is open it up more to interpretation. And that's the problem. Because um, somebody might say it's a handball and somebody mightn't be, and then they might look at the letters of the law and, and try and find the angle. And there's nothing worse. Like, I think it was Luton and Wolves, I think you mentioned there, Roy, where it bounced off the leg or foot and into the hand. That's it. And Tim Sherwood went absolutely nuts. And it was that bad and clear cut that even Mike Dean, who was there watching all the decisions, even he couldn't. He said, I, I'm actually trying to find a reason why he did it, and I can't. Because yeah. obviously, that's what the refs do. The refs, even they try and find. I think I know why he called it and he said he couldn't. So even he had to admit that it was such, such a bad decision. And this thing about a, a natural position, Dave, a natural position, <laughs> your arms down yeah. by your side, you know, that's not, not natural. natural. No, you for to no. get balance, to be able to slide in, to make a, a block, yeah. you have to have your arms slightly away from the body to keep balance. You know, it's you you don't see you don't see people walking a tightrope with their arms down by their side. You know, so it it just doesn't no, make sense. And uh, so yeah, have to they, go back to more black and white. Yeah, so they, they definitely yeah definitely need to bring back. Uh, everyone kind of knew when it was on purpose and when it wasn't on purpose, and no one really yeah. had a problem before. Yeah. So they need to change it back. Uh, Dave, I'm going to stick with you on this one because Liverpool do look like they have a, a bit of fire in the belly again. And that midfield has certainly given them legs, hasn't it? 
Yeah, Shea didn't stuck his head out today because not many people have talked about Liverpool pre-season because obviously for most of what happened last year and obviously they were kind of sucking and seeing and waiting to see what happened but he kind of came out with an article on BBC today about Liverpool's 2.0 and is starting to get confident that they could be up there competing with potentially Arsenal not necessarily up as high as, as Man City but definitely up there and he's the first one to really go at it but <clears throat> on Sunday uh, it was the first time like the guys have been playing well and obviously has been getting a few people from outside of Liverpool who are going to go yeah I think Liverpool have done another big, decent bit of their business but it was the first game where Liverpool really did control that midfield and the two boys along with Curtis Jones really did a good job and was a bit old school a bit of pressing from, from top to bottom and protected that potential leaky defence as we all know quite well and as much as we conceded the goal you didn't really kind of feel too concerned because there's always goals on that side but the two boys really did well Zobislaw with a lovely little dink over the top for Jones which was disallowed but then McAllister went into the exact same thing in the second half with a fine finish from Nunes Jones finished off the season quite strongly and was starting to show a bit of confidence and was willing to step out uh, from the crowd and it's definitely spilling into the team now and he's going to really put it up to the likes of Gravenberg and a few others to try and get in with with the two lads because slowly but surely um they definitely have the pace and they definitely have the legs, which was distinctly lacking last year. And with those two, with the both defence and midfield walking, or not defence, um, with forward and midfield walking potentially, um, that could kind of hide our deficiencies in the back line enough to get back into the Champions League spots. And who knows how high. Neil, Liverpool and Man City, that's the title race this year. Yeah. Uh, no, no, but they're not so I, I, I still think Liverpool have a little bit more to grow, Roy. I think they do look like the most likely. They look like the most settled. And I, I think mainly the big, biggest difference for me is the firepower up top. It's, he's replaced a new front three. Nunes has definitely found his feet in the Premier League this year. You can see it. Even his link play was better. Um, they needed Diaz the back, didn't they? Yeah. They needed Diaz back. And Diaz has brought extra legs. Like he had... Um, who was it that was playing? Uh, Soufal was on the wing. And I mean, he drifted by Soufal sometimes where you were just, it was like Soufal was standing in mud carrying a tyre running after him. It was, he is so quick. And that really, that gives Salah a little bit more breathing space where it's not just left to him. But for me, Nunes establishing himself now as, as the new striker and um, kind of ahead of Gakpo at the moment is very interesting because he's on a high at the minute. You can see his body language is flying. He's, he's, I know he missed a shocker on the weekend, but then he comes up with his volley over his head, which is unbelievable finish. So there's something going on there that's good. I don't think they're the finished article yet. I still think McAllister in that kind of six role is a little bit of a square peg in a round hole. But as Dave is saying there, you look at when it was Henderson, Milner, Thiago, Wijnaldum, that type of player. Now you've got Sabozloy, you've got McAllister and Curtis Jones. They put in the same amount of work in the middle. They give you the same amount of legs, the same amount of press. But the difference is each of them are really, really good on the ball, their distribution, putting balls through. The little clever balls over the top were absolutely fantastic. So the 2.0 to me is the fact that your midfield has moved from being completely workman-like to being a little bit more flash. Um, and with the lads up front and the options, like you brought Gakpo and Jota off the bench, I mean, 10 minutes to go, didn't even give them a whole lot of time. And it's massive options and massive firepower up front for them at the minute. Yeah. Dave, Man City have changed their team, first team a little bit. There's a few gone out and there's a, a few gone in and they've seamlessly 
slotted into their positions. And this is what you look at. You look at Chelsea, you look at Manchester United. You might yeah. even you might even say with Newcastle, it's all about the players that you bring into the club, your purchases. And it shows with, with these two teams, doesn't it? Yeah, they do the homework. Um, obviously, Liverpool got confidence briefly for Casado, but look at the amount of money they saved. You know, like he's a good player, but is he worth that much? Because like with, with that with type, that type of fee comes incredible um, responsibility. But Zabas, Lloyd McAllister, obviously still, they're not cheap, that's for sure. But now you look at Man City, they've obviously done their homework with who they bring in. Like even Kovacic, who wasn't there the weekend, that's a very clever move to bring somebody in yeah. a bit similar to Gundogan. 30 million, that's a drop in the ocean there. Matthias Nunes, and you're coming into a Man City side, it's easy. And when that side is nice and set, you can bring in one or two of these players that you don't have to buy the big um, top superstar who's going to come in with an ego and set the apple cart. They're going to come in and be actually grateful that they're in that team and they're going to just follow suit. And what's scary is there's the, your man Doku, who, who wasn't really on anyone's radar, looked a very uh, exciting uh, winger. And the last time I checked, they're missing the best midfield on the Premier League and Kevin De Bruyne, and they don't miss him. Like, that's how scary this is. And at this point, they could probably get rid of Haaland for a month and still be fine with the likes of Julian Alvarez. Like, that's how good they are. But they do the homework, they do their planning, they know what type of team they are, they look at the type of player that they're, that they're going to lose and they try and get something similar who's going to slot in and just keep that machine running. And if you look at the likes of Man City, are the, the masses of it, but Liverpool aren't far off. And you see Zobbis lie all of a sudden, he's a bit of an all-action, a bit of everything, and he's that all-rounder that's needed. And you see them, they all start to make sense within a few matches. And you go, yeah, Joe, well done. It's better this star-name player because he's from wherever he's from. And it's just some, sometimes they just don't make sense. But... Man City are just such a well-oiled machine, mate. It's just scary. Like, you guys just slot in and it's like they've been there for, for, forever. And, you know, it, 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 as much as it annoys us and it's boring, it, it is phenomenal to watch. Yes, obviously, they, they spent a buttload of money at the start. But now, because it's so settled, it's just nice and easy. A couple of players go, a couple of players come in, homework's done, on to the next year, grab the trophies and... Unfortunately, God knows when this is going to end. Hopefully, with Pep, hopefully, get forward. <laughs> we're, we're all hoping and wishing for Pep to, to jump ship and take another sabbatical, aren't we? Well, right. Right. If you look at last year when they allowed Arsenal to get out, I do emphasize the word allowed, they weren't really on the ball in the early part of the season. Arsenal got up ahead of steam, picked up points, got in ahead of them, and then they reined them in. They're not making that mistake this year. They're absolutely perfect out of the traps, and that's so. That must be a sickener. For anyone to talk to themselves, do you know what? They've done whatever it is, three in a row. Maybe they'll give us, you know, a little bit of an opportunity here. De Bruyne is out injured, great. They bring in Garvadal, they bring in Nunes, they bring in Doku, and they literally just replenish everything that they've lost and more. It, as Dave said, it is scary and it's a little bit sick. And uh, yeah, not long may, uh, I just hope that Pep one of these days goes, do you know what? I want to do an L challenge and go off to Crystal Palace and see if I can make them no, Neil. he'll only do it he'll only do it get him out um, ok well listen with Manchester United and Chelsea struggling to make any sort of uh, anything <laughs> they, can't, they can't even string a couple of passes together at the moment Brighton are sitting nicely in third place and while they wouldn't win the Greek League Neil how good are this Brighton side? 
Uh, you know, Roy, remember we used to say a few seasons ago when Wolves come up in particular, they were like, oh, they're, they're the second, you know, your your favourite kind of second team and you used to watch the way Wolves played. They were kind of all action. Brighton are just the next best thing it is. The way they play out from the back, the fearlessness in them. Um, Verbruggen made the mistake the weekend. He, the goalkeeper made a mistake and dwelled on the ball and then got caught. And they went 1-0 down. And there was no panic. I think it was Dunk might have went up them straight away and just went, don't worry about it. Get on with what you're doing. They're knocking the ball around the back line. Lovely, lovely side to watch. Brilliant in possession. And it doesn't matter. Like they've lost, I think it was a Gilmore... Gilmore and someone was in the middle of the weekend and I mean yeah. Billy Gilmore is yeah, that, that's it. You wouldn't have thought, you know, not really a household name, someone like like the likes of Fernandez and Casado. He's that you know, Billy Gilmore is a kind of a run of the mill Scottish kid and it, it doesn't matter who he puts in there, they just look fantastic. Great side to watch, the way they knock the ball around, the little triangles and the layoffs to the front man and people running in behind. But uh, they do have a couple of stars on that team. Uh, Matoma being one of them who, at the moment, just looks unplayable when he runs with the ball. Um, but they're a great side to watch. And it is interesting. They're going to have to handle this Thursday night slash Sunday uh, afternoon kind of fixtures for a couple of weeks. It is new for them. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think they're going to be challenging for Premier Leagues. But I tell you, if they keep going the way they are and they can keep that kind of core fit, It'd be very interesting how near to the top four that they can get because they just look fearless at the moment. Yeah, and it doesn't matter, Dave, who they put into the side. Again, as I said, like they yeah. they they lost in Europe, but I mean that's their first experience in Europe, and they'll learn a lot from yeah. that. But the players that they swap in and swap out, there's not a great difference between them, and they all just seem to know their job. It really comes down to yeah. attitude, and when you look at Chelsea and United, that's what the difference is. Massively, I think Lalana said something the other day that uh, his family's in Italy, so he basically just sits at home with the lads, gets the food in, and as in his coaching staff, and it's just twenty four seven, and he becomes obsessed. And he's obviously doing it in a way that's healthy for the lads because, as you said, they just slot in. Like um, Lanty wasn't starting, um, uh, Pedro. Pedro didn't start, Matoma didn't start. Um, and too fatty didn't start there's some serious players on the bit Solly March didn't start and it didn't phase them obviously it's a good team to come up against uh, of a Sunday after Europe in Bournemouth um, and they and they looked at them quite handy and there's one and not they starting at Dingra we're still getting used to who these lads are but they're going to probably come star names in the next three to four months like it's phenomenal like and we we, we give Man City crit praise but whoever is in the background doing the, doing the homework for these lads Jesus Christ it, you'd almost tip the hat that it's even better because they are really going to different levels to try and find some some, some top talent yeah absolutely you got to give you got to give the manager the right the, the most yeah. amount of credit he went in after Graham Potter who at that Correct. time was good enough and everyone rated him so highly with the job that he did and everyone went oh my god what a brilliant team Brighton are fair enough we used to say they don't have an out and out goal scorer it'd be interesting if they had one and he's after coming in there he sold off one or two of his best players and they just keep getting better. Like, it's actually, it's so impressive what he's done with that group of players. And if you, you were to flip that and bring the likes of Pochettino in there and say, right, there's that 11. And as Dave said there, like, Veltman, uh, what's the hell do I pronounce that? Buonante. Buonante. Who are these guys? Ardingra on the wing. Who is this guy? Right? Like, yeah. there you are, Posh. There's 11 players. Make a team out of them. And I mean, what the Zerbi has done has been unbelievable. And, 
he'll be the next guy now because what's going to happen is people are going to look at what he's doing and think if you can do that with Johnny No Name what are you going to do if I give you a couple of hundred million pound players so that that's what's interesting about it but the football they play the, the courage they have on the ball and the style they play absolutely it's brilliant to watch, really. this, this is what could be scary for, for, for top teams they need to do the homework because Brighton were doing this under Potter and now they're doing it under Deserby so yeah. who's Who's the one that's make, uh, doing it? Like, it's not, I would say it's not those. I'd say they're very top coaches, but I'd say it's someone else. Like, you know, the way it was um, Edwards or Liverpool. Like, who is their oh, version yeah, of that? Yeah. Because there has, that's who it really is. And I'm not trying to take away from the Zerbi, but that's yeah. where if you're bringing the Zerbi, you need to bring whoever's in the background as well, because that's the only way you're going to get the same results. I'm sure Chelsea are finding that person out now as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the back of a van being uh, probably open <laughs> and he's in the hostage. OK, uh, Liverpool legend Jamie Carragher has been labelled a disgrace by Aaron Ramsdale's dad for laughing at the Arsenal star. It is the tour game in a row in all competitions that Ramsdale has sat out, though he is refusing to make a fuss and he is fully behind his rival, Raya. The cameras cut at the weekend, Neil, to Ramsdale on the bench. Uh, the ex-Sheffield United star was smiling in amazement. In fairness, to an unbelievable save uh, by Raya. Uh, but speaking on Sky Sports, Carragher stated he believes his reaction was all show. He said, I thought it was like the Oscars. You know, when someone loses the Oscar and they start clapping and smiling the other person. I was laughing when I saw that. He's absolutely devastated with that, really. What do you think? Uh, I, well, listen, at any age group, but when when I coach the 14, to all the way up to the Premier League, if you're not in the starting 11, Roy, I don't care who you are, anyone that's ever played football, it's pretty devastating. When you're left out, you're on the bench, you can be magnanimous, you can be, you know, supportive, you can say all the right things, oh, listen, it's all about the team, I hope the team does well. I believe in the project, but deep down, anybody that's not in the first 11, and I would say Ramsdale falls well into that category because he's really come alive in the last year slash two years under Arsenal. It's raised his profile. He's been pushing Pickford. He's been getting nearer to that kind of dream of being the number one, maybe winning a, a nice bit of silverware. I'm not saying he, you know, he must have known the cameras would be on him by all means, clap wherever you want to do. But inside, I would half agree with, he probably didn't need to say it, but I'd agree with Carragher and I would say he was breaking inside. <laughs> he was, oh man, I can't believe he did that. There's another week on the bench for me. So he's in a dogfight. I do, I won't say a pity him by any stretch of imagination. This is football. It's people bring in competition. You have to deal with it. You have to learn. Um, and yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say he was delighted he made the save, but Look, he gave it an acknowledgement. I, I wouldn't really go, go too far other than that. But I would definitely say internally, he's dying inside being left out. Dave, we've all kind of tripped, fell and hurt themselves or got, fell off our bike and got a little bit winded and we hop up really quickly and pretend that it really didn't hurt us. Uh, but it is and it does. And in this case here, he probably, he probably knew that that camera was going to hit him and... It shows how much it is hurting them now. He firmly at the start of this season believed he was going to be number one. Absolutely. Um, Neville said something similar as well. He said he's either 
the ultimate teammate or the bloody good actor. Like, but to be honest, the Nevilles and characters of this world are very tuned into social media because he's been getting hopped on for a long time for playing to the cameras. He got a lot of stick over one of the episodes of uh, All or Nothing where they won three or four one, but he was there as if they lost the World Cup final because he conceded the goal and people were going, he knows damn well he's in that dressing room and they, there's 15 cameras in there and he knows the fans are looking at it. They, they, they know what this is and this is going to create likes and links and people like us are talking. And to be honest, I'd say that that's why it's a bad bit because he's been, he's been hearing about this for long enough. So when it becomes mainstream like that with the lads, without a shadow of a doubt, but the reason why he probably reacted the way he is because maybe he does believe it himself. Like, as soon as I seen it, I went, oh, this is going to create a shit storm. The clickbaiters are going to enjoy this. It is what it is. He, he, we all deep down know he's disgusted. But if he's being nice, he's being nice. If he's acting, he's acting. I, I don't care, you know, because at the end of the day, as soon as he was signed, he should have known the writing was on the wall. Because when he was signed as the most expensive number two, Arteta obviously had him in mind to start. And he got rid of, uh, I nearly said Jay Leno, Bernd Leno. <laughs> <laughs> He, he would have been struck. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, the writing was on the wall as soon as he bought David Reyes, so he should he should be well prepared for this because as soon as he was bought for forty million, uh, he should have realised I've been here before. Now it's my turn for whatever reason, and of course I had to buy his time. And now he's in, and he's gonna have to get used to that bench. So clap all you want, mate. Best of luck here. I'd be shocked if he gets back in now. Well, Do you could... find it interesting, Roy, when you listen to the ex-goalkeeping pros? So Brad Friedel spoke about it, Shea Given spoke about it, and their kind of view was they didn't feel it was healthy when you don't have a dominant number one and you don't know, you oh, know, yeah. as in when a guy comes in. Now, I, I, I wouldn't have thought that. When I seen him sign Ray, I just went, wow, that's another good, good goal, you know, and they've got a bit of competition. But them guys who have played at the highest level, and have been pros for many, many years, and they've done their badges and everything else, they've come out and said it's not a healthy scenario having two goalkeepers where you do not know who the dominant is. And Freed used the example of Liverpool. You've got Keller there, but no one is under any uh, illusion that Alisson is the number one. And he reckons there's some some sort of a cross wire, be it that Arteta didn't portray it, because they definitely feel when Ray is signed, he was told, you're coming in here, and you yeah. you're going in there. So it's interesting their view, isn't it? Well, that that save is is definitely hammered home. That thought that he may very well move in January, I wouldn't be surprised to see it because uh, exactly for that reason, what you're saying, uh, they that Ramsdale is a level of goalkeeper that he couldn't accept being on the bench, and surely he's going to have to look to move on. Okay, uh, we're going to finish yeah, off with something that Neil mentioned before we came on and. Uh, that was interesting he asked if Bruno Fernandes was in any other top team in the Premier League he'd be lauded as the world class player and held in higher regard instead he's painted as a whiny shite bag uh, I like those words <laughs> Neil <laughs> do, do go ahead and discuss we'll let you have the first one yeah, I did, you know what it is, right? I was watching match of the day last night and that goal that he scored was just different class. Like, it was unbelievable. The, the ball from Johnny Evans was the biggest surprise, maybe. But it was <laughs> the movement from Fernandez. You know, they needed a goal. They were, I won't say they were under the cosh, but they were, they were probably less possession than they thought. And it felt like a potential banana skin. And he is their go-to guy. And since Fernandez has signed, he plays every minute of every game. 
he's always on the ball. He, I don't think he ever shies away from the ball, but he's fallen into this kind of category that I put the likes of Neymar into where you almost love to hate him because there, there's aspects of him and his character that's flawed. And he's flawed because he's whiny and he's moaning and you look at him on the camera you just think someone slap him. Now, there's a little bit less this year because obviously they're not allowed to kind of go to the ref and go a little bit like, in the same characteristics they have in previous years. But it still brands him as a kind of a petulant moaner on the field. But at the end of the day, when you look at him, and I was just thinking this to myself, you put him, um, say instead of Doku, whatever it was, they signed, uh, or Kovacic, more likely for City, if they'd have signed Bruno Fernandes to put him in that midfield, he'd be an absolute superstar. He'd be playing with like-for-like like players. They'd each be as good as him, and he would, you would imagine he would thrive in it. Put him in Liverpool's team. Put him in, well, I won't say Chelsea's team. Put him in Arsenal's team instead of Odegaard. He'd be lauded. It just depends on your perception of him when you see him on the field. But does it ruin the overall kind of legacy that he'll leave? Like, he's here a couple of years now. His numbers have been brilliant. Takes the penalties. Big game scorer. He still tries in most games. But yet, we don't look at him in the same way you look at Kevin De Bruyne. We don't look at him in the same way even Odegaard last year. He seems to be the kind of the third cousin that no one really talks about. And yes, is it because of the Man United side he's in? Is it because of the calibre of player he's playing with? Well, Dave, you, think? you shoot there because when I look at Bruno Fernandes, I've said it before and I know you have... You slightly, I think you're slightly changing your tune, Neil. Because uh, and 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 I think you're right. I do think that he is a quality player, world class. I'm not totally sure, but he is a quality player who turns games in situations. He creates goals. He scores goals. Uh, Dave, what's your thoughts? Yeah, he's, he's definitely a marmite player, isn't he? Like you, you kind of tend to either love him or hate him. Look, his attitude on the pitch can. Depending on the game, if you know you're losing and he kicks that off, you know it, you can look at it and go and look. That's probably half the battle. But then sometimes you watch some of the games, and I've said this a few times, like where he was spent after sixty to seventy minutes because he's running around like a madman and overtaking players to chase people down. Because you know there's a lot of lads out there who are not putting in much of an effort. There was a famous video from last week's Champions League game where the ref outran the whole midfield on a counter attack by Bayern <laughs> because they all were that slow. Like that's the midfield that we've at the minute. So maybe that's half the reason why he's pissed off. But there is there is no denying his qualities, and he's a smashing player. He's great at assists. He's great at scoring goals. And um, he is the type that he is, can be petulant, and he's in referees' ears. But twenty years ago, he'd have slotted right in with your Paul Scholes and Roy Keane. He'd be there chasing your Roy Rennie like the rest of them. Like that's that was the type of player that was expected at Old Trafford twenty years ago. Well, now some people don't like it, some people do. Like he is very much a, a guy who splits it down the middle, but. I think there's an element of his attitude, but I also think there's an element he's seriously pissed off at what's around him because this is probably not what he expected when he came to United. Um, but I definitely think he is arguably their best player, he's, or if not one of their best players. And um, I think that's where some of these frustrations come from. It's not just purely down to he's just a whiny shitbag. He genuinely can be frustrated about what's around him. Um, Do you think I, it's I, because I, he's a captain, Dave? you think that's where he's on him as well? Yeah, we maybe look he's going when we look at him as a captain, we feel he should be carrying that team better with a little bit more poise rather than let his emotions come out so freely. I, I definitely think that plays in my mind when I watch him. I want, to, like, you know, I want to see my captain be a little bit more 
you know, True. calm and lead or rather. I agree with you, Neil, but it's also a shit show at the minute. I think he is trying to step up a little bit more, but also, like, there's, there's, there's some dodgy elements going on within, you know, the game, and the stories are starting to leak out now of infighting, and there seems to be kicks going on again, and that's not going to not gonna help the side. And then you've got the likes of Solskjaer coming out over the last few days, getting brave and saying, He's offered it to a couple of people and he said no. And the rumours are that it was Pogba and Rashford. And that says it all. What a shit show Solskjaer was. The fact that he was going to give it to those two. You know, and, wow. and, and one is gone and one now. That's the rumours who they are. And obviously Maguire is a second or third or fourth choice. And you see what they taught him last year. And um, when they just started to ignore him under Ronaldo. So, like, Fernandez is probably realising what a mess it's there. He probably wants to do what he can. But, like, you know, best to look to him and, and Ten Hag because... There's still a lot of work to be done there, and like I'm not feeling for him, and I, I don't feel sorry for him, but I, I just can't. I just don't think it's all down to the fact that he's just whiny. I just think it's it, there's, a, there's a lot of mess there, and I'd say it's very hard to to be around that all the time. Like all you have to do is look at Sancho. Apparently, he's not even allowed into the dining room now. He's with the kids, and that's it. And he can't come back unless he says sorry. Like it's like it's it's just bonkers what's going on there. So. Well, I've, I've looked at that. that. Yeah, I, I've looked at that, the Sancho scenario. Said it when, when he, they were buying him in the first place. I didn't see what they seen in in buying Sancho. I thought he, a lot of stuff was blown out of all proportion when he was over in Germany. I had watched loads of games of him playing and I didn't think that there was anything amazing about him. He had some good moments. Uh, he had some goals that were half decent. But I thought there was a lot of little tap-ins and, and his performances weren't great around him. And, you know, so I never really kind of, I never really grew on him. And I kind of hoped against hope that he would just prove me wrong. He hasn't proven me wrong. On the pitch, he has been very, very poor. At, at best, an average game. He probably is his best game. He has been very poor in a Manchester United. And I could see where in a situation that he is... Maybe disruptive, maybe, you know, maybe depressed. I don't know if, if that's the, the, the situation, but I don't see a fully focused player there. So I could see where that there's there's issues there. But I'm starting, you're starting to see, like, they, Man United have bought your man Reggie on in, for left full. He has been their best player in the last couple of games. Yeah. He has worked his arse off, chased everything, full-hearted into tackles, full-hearted making runs forward and he's embarrassing every other player on and, and that pitch. When I look at Fernandez... He's a player who has a point to prove. Like yes. It was, it's, it's, if he doesn't make it there, there's there's only one way to score it and that's the type of players that maybe United should be looking at instead of trying to buy these in names that are just mercenaries. Like, And some of them, let's be honest here, but let's jump into it. Four or five of these are 10 house players and not one of them is impressive so far. No. Like they're, or they're too inconsistent. So there's a lot to be looked at here and the easy option is to blame the boys at the very, very top. They deserve 90% of the blame but there's a lot of shit that's down at the bottom with the players and the staff as well that they need to get together and Reguillon is, is arguably the biggest thing there because he has a point to prove and he's playing like it and that's the type of player they need to be going after more often. Absolutely. But isn't it incredible, lads, when you look at their first 11, or sorry, not their first 11, their squad there, even for the weekend. Now, I know Amrabat, Ferran, were wherever, had injuries and they'd only come back. But imagine, like, if this, I'm thinking from a Liverpool perspective, if you still had lads like Anthony Martial still on your, your subs bench, mm-hmm. Donny van de Beek still on your subs bench, what the hell are people like that doing at the club? Johnny Evans was brought in as a stopgap and he started the game. Lindelof has been there a few years. He's never going to be the answer. Delo was playing right back. 
you know, McTominay, they're not going to bring you on. You just feel there's seven or eight players. Like, it's almost like the Chelsea second string where you're waiting for these lads to move on now because you've signed too many players. They really need to bring in more quality. Like that first 11 of United's there, I don't want to say bang average, but my God, there's, there's seven or eight better squads in the Premier League than that. Yeah, no, I, listen, I, I, I'm I, looking at Ramos Highland up front. I do think there's something in him. I do, I've do. i looked at his movement. I've looked at um, his attitude. I think there's something in him. The 20 goal a season striker remains to be seen. Well, that's that, the that, biggest question. That's going to be... Being, being a great guy who's going to be effort is one thing, but he needs to score 20 goals a season year in, year out. And no one has a clue about that just yet. No, no, that's that's the truth. But if he played for Manchester City, he'd probably have more of a chance, you know. So that's it's your environment as well. I look at Bruno Fernandes. He does be hot and cold on the pitch. There's no doubt Mm -hmm. about that. Uh, He has great moments, but I do think he's hot and cold. And sometimes his emotions drift them out of games and I'd like to see him a little bit more controlled but maybe listen you, you can't you can't fault him for his you know assists his goals and his desire for but the I team I think with some of what we've talked about Roy, I think with some of what we talked about has to play a factor I'd say he is one of those that I'd say it's frustrating some of the times he's playing around people who just don't seem to care as much like, don't get me wrong he is whiny and he can be difficult but if you're with similar players United are a different animal yeah, you know, I think it'd be a much different animal if there was more a bit like him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Man United are in a little bit of trouble this year. I think mm-hmm. I don't. I don't believe the thing that Casemiro's legs have gone. I just think that they don't have the right fit beside him. Um, I'd be interested. Hashtag they misread. Well, do you know what? There's legs. And, they do. Yeah, it's legs. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, yeah. I I I still think Scott McTominay is okay in there. It's when when you have Christian Eriksen who is brilliant on the football. It's either Eriksen or Fernandez who plays in that ten, you know, or Fernandez yeah, plays in yeah. slightly under right. You can't you, you can't play one of them in centre midfield. They're not midfielders. And yeah. Eriksen last year w- was filling a gap and he did very well. But it's, you can't consistently you can't push their team on if you're going to have him in there. You need someone who has legs to get up and down the pitch. So it'll be interesting 100%. to see if Amrabat can do anything in there because. Eh, I, I, I'm I'm not totally convinced there either. So yeah, they could struggle this year. Anyhow, so we're we're all of the the conclusion that Bruno Fernandez would probably uh, excel in a, a top team such as maybe Manchester City. Um, and mm. he is probably frustrated at the moment at Manchester United, uh, but still producing the goods and what a goal at the weekend. Okay, listen. Neil, Dave, thanks very much for your time. Thanks very much for you for listening and we'll be back definitely next week.